Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 367 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the second part of a two-part interview, Bethan Roberts speaks with Catherine O'Flynn about the inspiration found in small details from real lives, writing for radio, and the productivity merits of her cafe habit. You can hear the first part of this interview in the preceding episode, number 366. We rejoin Bethan and Catherine as they finish speaking about Bethan's experience in writing a novel from Elvis Presley's point of view. Hello, I'm Catherine O'Flynn, and today I'm going to be talking to the acclaimed British novelist Bethan Roberts. Bethan's first novel, The Pools, was published in 2007 and won a Jerwood Harvard Young Writers Award. Her second novel, The Good Plain Cook, published in 2008, was serialised on BBC Radio 4's Book at Bedtime and was chosen as one of Time Out's Books of the Year. My Policeman, the story of a 1950s policeman, his wife and his male lover, followed in 2012 and was chosen as that year's City Read for Brighton. The novel is soon to be a major Amazon original movie. Mother Island, Bethan's fourth novel, published in 2014, was the recipient of a Jerwood Fiction Uncovered Prize. Bethan's fiction often touches upon the real lives of notable figures, as well as her recent novel, Graceland, which tells the story of Elvis Presley and his mother Gladys. Both the lives of E.M. Forster and Peggy Guggenheim have inspired previous novels. Bethan's short fiction has won the Society of Authors Olive Cook Prize and the RA Pindrop Award. She's also written drama for BBC Radio 4. She's worked in television documentary and taught creative writing at Chichester University and Goldsmiths College. Bethan was born in Abingdon and lives in Brighton with her family. And obviously in previous books, like The Good Plain Cook was inspired uh, somewhat by Peggy Guggenheim and, as you say, My mm. Policeman by Ian Forster. And now you've sort of slightly unwittingly, you ended up doing this very direct, uh, undisguised fictionalisation of Elvis. Do you, do you think that's mm. something you'd want to do again? I mean, are there other lives that you think or not? Is it just that this kind of happened by chance? I don't know is the answer. I mean, it certainly seems to be a kind of area that I keep returning to, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Going, you know, I, I do like it. I think what I like about it is is that that period of research just kind of frees you from the terror of the blank page a little yeah. bit. You know, you've got something to do and you are working, even though you're not actually writing a chapter. Yeah. You are working on your novel and, and it is endlessly interesting for someone who's you know really nosy and voyeuristic like me to poke about you know in the sort of secret compartments of somebody else's life so um I do enjoy it I think you know I didn't I didn't quite dare to kind of say yes I am taking on this person and yes I'm going to pretend to be them in a novel before I did Elvis I don't know I mean I'd I'd I might do somebody else I'm not sure I I don't really know it's not it's it's not my intention to do it straight away because I think you know uh, the Elvis project was kind of huge and it did take a long time to research and felt quite weighty so you know I'm kind of keen to do something that's a bit more has a bit more freedom in it I suppose sure yeah I mean perhaps if it happens again it might be slightly more 
oblique again because i mean my impression was that yeah. the peggy guggenheim and em forster links were something specific about their lives that interested you some little nugget that you think oh that's really interesting rather than necessarily thinking i want to write about you know peggy guggenheim and similarly with elvis it wasn't that you thought i really want to write about elvis you're exploring something else and then you kind of find yourself in that place yeah that's it totally isn't it i mean i think what it is is you know you you're kind of interested in somebody and you start poking about a bit and then you know something in their life just speaks to you mm. for whatever reason and you don't you don't necessarily know why or or even you know what the connection is between you and them but you know it's something that that you just feel like oh you know I felt that way or yeah I have experienced something a bit like that that kind of enables you then I suppose to try and walk a mile in their shoes as I always would say but it's it's it has to be kind of something personal to you I think but you don't always know what it is and you don't always you know and there isn't always a kind of obvious echo you know with your life yeah. I mean you know the thing that made me want to write about Elvis was um reading about Gladys his mother and and, and her chickens you know because she, yeah. she kept chickens outside on on the lawn outside Graceland and she was told not to do it because yeah. it was bad for Elvis's image. It wasn't on brand. Not on brand, right? Yeah. For the king of rock and roll to have a mama who was, uh, you know, feeding chickens on the lawn. And that, it was something about that that just I just thought that is so fascinating and I want to know, you know, more about what that was like for her. And that's yeah. what led me into it, really. Yeah. The other, the other thing that struck me, and I'm sure is um, struck you too, is that obviously both Mother Island and Graceland are real mother and son relationship studies. I mean, was that something that, I mean, obviously, if you write about Elvis, you can't really escape that. But I wondered if mm-hmm. it was an area that perhaps becoming a parent triggered your interest in that, or is it a relationship you've always been interested in, or was it just, you know, you got sucked into it with Elvis because that's just the way his life is? Yeah, I think it's a bit of all of those things. I mean, I I think I've always been interested in, in mothers and mother-child relationships. I'm really close to my own mum. Mm. And she was really close to her mum and my great granny, who I think I've mentioned already, <laughs> still going on about the same things, uh, was a very sort of dominant figure in the family. So mothers have always sort of been a big, big thing for me, I guess. And yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when I had a child, I, I guess I just wanted to write about what that was explore you know what that was like and I think because I found myself it was one of those things where you know you have an idea of what it's like and then when it happens it's nothing like what you imagined Mm. um in both good and bad ways you know and I think when I first became a mother I was really shocked by how ambivalent I felt towards towards this new life and I kind of expected to you know for it to be all kind of rose tinted and it it had taken me a long time to to become a a mum you know we kind of Mm. had fertility treatment and stuff and then uh, anyway you know I won't go into all that but but it it was just um it was quite a shocker you know (laughs) so so I guess yeah I kind of needed to write about that but then but then as it as my son grew I suppose yeah I am you know overwhelmed by you know how much how much you love them really and and how and how, and how kind of all-consuming it is and you know and, and I suppose also you kind of 
you want to explore you know how other people have been a parent so that you so that you don't make the same mistakes although of course that isn't what happens you will make all the same mistakes but you know I think it's a kind of like almost like a self-instruction thing isn't it yeah no you think well look at that really closely so that I don't (laughs) <laughs> the same stupid mistakes that Gladys Presley did you but try, you know try I've not to made feed them. the chickens out in, into your house in Brighton <laughs> yeah yeah I'll try, I'll try not to do that it's too late <laughs> um, and so I think I know the answer to this based on what you said earlier but I'm just wondering I mean do you have when you're writing do you have several projects on the go at once or it sounds more like you tend to work on one at a time is is that right it tends to be one at a time. I mean, occasionally um, I might have something for the radio going on at right. the same time, you know, because yeah. that's sort of my other hat. Um, yeah. If I'm lucky, I might have got a, a, an actual commission, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I find that that's kind of okay because I guess that takes a different, it must take a different part of my brain or something. Right. Um, to write either a radio play or, a, or, or, or stories for radio. And, you know, they, they feel kind of more contained. Yeah. But I would never, I would only ever have you know, one novel on the go. can't imagine how you would ever write two at the same time. No, no well, I, I mean, it was kind of the radio thing that made me ask, because I know sometimes with people who write for radio or TV, they always seem to have loads and loads of ideas, teeming with ideas, which I just am always flabbergasted by because I have so few ideas so I wondered if you know I I guess you have to have quite a big bank of ideas because you're kind of needing to pitch things and stuff is that is that right this is like a whole foreign world to me yeah well I mean you think so wouldn't you but I'm not I don't feel like I've got loads of ideas either and that's probably why I haven't had more stuff on the radio (laughs) but I mean to be honest I kind of got into radio a little bit by accident in that my first no second novel um Good Plain Cook was on book at bedtime amazingly I think because I had a Welsh name but we won't go into that but anyway there's some big big Welsh agenda at Radio 4 that I'm not aware of well you know they 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 obviously they have a certain quota you know (laughs) that they have to fill right so so radio, it was BBC Wales who did uh, The Good Plain Cook. And I right. was asked, you know, how Welsh are you? Oh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure they liked it as well. But yeah, but but so it was a kind of like a lucky thing. And then the, the lovely, lovely producer called Kate McCall mm. came to meet me and, and said, oh, you know, have you ever thought about writing for radio? And I was like, no, don't be ridiculous. Because you know? <laughs> I hadn't written the script before. And yeah. I hadn't really thought about it. But she said, oh, you know, you, you're pretty good at writing dialogue. Why don't you have a go? And, and I just was like, I was very like, no, no, no. But then I thought, oh, actually, yeah, you know, maybe I could. <laughs> um, so I just kind of gave it a go and, and, it, and it went from there. And I've worked with her and, and a couple of other producers. But it's always been quite low key. And it's always like, you know, if I've got an idea at the right time, you know, because they have these commissioning rounds and it's, it's only kind of once every six months or something like that that yeah. you put ideas in. Yeah. Then I might go for it. But to be honest, I, I don't feel like I'm teeming with ideas at all. You know, I, I kind of have to sit down and, and scrape through and try and, you know, get, get something. And, and it's only, you know, occasionally that something might might hit me. Good. I think, you know, 
too many ideas. Some people have just too many ideas. They do. They do. For sure. I'm, I don't I'm, like those people. Yeah, I'm amused by the <laughs> idea that you, yeah, you've got this idea that, you, you know, your book was book at bedtime because you had a Welsh name. And I always think if ever I'm on radio, it's just because they need a Birmingham accent. And maybe <laughs> maybe everyone who's on radio is, you know, thinks maybe. there's some ulterior motive for why they've yeah. been invited on. Well, maybe um, there is. Yeah, <laughs> probably is. Yeah. And do you... You said you hate that period after you've finished a novel before you start mm. a new project. So do you tend to always have a project on the go or do you have long periods where you're not writing and doing other things? How does how does that go for you? I try to, but I'm aware that, you know, some of them are pretend projects, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> Just to kind of keep me occupied and make me feel like I'm uh, doing yeah. something, like I'm reporting to work. So, you know, I mean, at, at the moment I... I have finished a novel. I can't sell it, and uh, I'm in a bit of a a bit of a two and an eight about what to do now. So I have started something else. Yeah, but it doesn't. I know it hasn't really embedded itself yet. You know, and I'm I'm trying to get into it. So I'm. I, but I'm hopeful that you know what will happen is through banging away at this particular thing, I will find the other thing that is the real <laughs> project that I can actually have a hope of getting on with properly sure and you, and sort of in that in that vein because you we mentioned earlier how you know when you're a child you're embarrassed to say you wanted to be a writer so you said air hostess do, do you tend to admit it now or, or do you still have some bogus other career you mention I don't like admitting it especially you know with people who who don't know you because mm-hmm. you sort of feel like well you just feel like you're you're kind of you know you're wanting to show off yes or you're kind of I don't know, and and it does feel like you're a bit of a fraud. So, mm. so what I tend to say is, you know, I'm a writer, but but I also teach, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because it's true, you know, yeah. and it and that makes me feel like well, I've got a kind of you know legitimate, <laughs> an, an legitimate profession as well as you know this silly thing that I do of sitting there and making stuff up. You know? Do you, do you find the teaching sits well with your writing? You know, is it a happy relationship between the two? I, I mean, I'm guessing you do. Generally, yes. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it too much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm in the happy position of being able to just do a bit. Um, I don't have a kind of full-time post at a university or something. Mm. Um, and that I like because it gives my week structure and it puts a bit of pressure you know, on, yeah. on, on my writing time, which tends to make me get on with it a bit, I think. But, you know, I think you have to be careful not to let it balloon. I mean, I'm lucky because I'm married and I've, I, and there's two of us, you know, we can yeah. kind of pull resources and so that makes it easier financially. So I can just do a kind of enough teaching to keep me going, really. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I've read about you, I think you, you've, you've mentioned this a few times, actually, and it's something I find literally incredible is that you you write in cafes and I I just don't understand how that's possible because I'm <laughs> I'm really self-conscious about you know like some people who play <clears throat> when they play guitar they have a guitar face I'm sure I have some kind of weird <laughs> I'm sure my features go really slack when I'm writing and I have to do it in private but you do you, do you actually find it you obviously you obviously do enjoy and find it productive to work in cafes can you tell me about this yeah well <laughs> I think what I like about it is, A, A, I do feel self-conscious about it, right? So Mm. I think if I sit there with a notebook, I probably better get on with it and get some words on the page. Otherwise, I look like a 
even more of a loser <laughs> than I already do sitting there with my notebook pretending I'm a writer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that kind of puts a bit of pressure on me to actually fill the page, which is useful. Yeah. Also, I think I just, I like getting out of the house. You know, it gives me a bit of routine and a bit of fresh air and walking. So obviously, you know, with COVID being around, I really missed, yeah. <laughs> I really missed going to cafes. And I just find, I mean, I don't think I would sit there with my laptop editing, you know, redrafting. I mm. wouldn't do that because I, I can feel like I can do that at home. But that 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 first draft, which is the bit I find really difficult, you know, getting out the words in the first place. I just find that, you know, removing myself from the house so that I'm, I'm not tempted to go and wash up and do yeah. endless, uh, endless displacement activity. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of just, I think, guess it sort of puts a boundary around that bit of time. I have the coffee and so I better get something written in, in the hour that it takes, you know, to sit there and drink that coffee. I can't really sit there for longer than that because it looks like I'm just freeloading, you know. <laughs> and I do like it. And I think also there's something a bit about white noise, you know, and it just kind of, I, I've learned, I suppose, to to shut out the stuff going on around mm. but but maybe you know I actually need a bit of something going on around otherwise it's too it just feels too precious you know to kind of be somewhere where it's completely silent which it tends to be in in my house really so I think maybe a bit of noise is not a bad thing you've you've actually done quite a good job of selling that to me as an idea I'd always there thought it go. was just craziness but um but you've it's made not, it sound honestly, quite nice yeah you should, tr- you should try it yeah, I just whenever I see someone with a notebook or a laptop in a cafe, I just think they're crazy. It's like, how can you do that? How can you expose yourself in public? But yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> well done. You've explained it to me. Just um, don't go anywhere where there might be someone that you know, because then you have to talk to them, and then yeah. it's all it's all lost. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. hours spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in the future, do you see novels and being predominantly where where you're going to kind of continue to stay or, or are the sort of areas that you're you're interested in exploring that you haven't explored obviously there's these radio as well but are there any other areas that you fancy get more into I think you've you've done tv stuff as well is that right well I mean you know to say I've done tv stuff is really overselling it I've, I, I used to work for a documentary company and I never really progressed past you know research so <laughs> I haven't really done I think I did a little bit of scripting but you know but it was just like for you know a documentary about sweets or something so it's, <laughs> it doesn't really great. count right yeah. yeah it was actually it was really interesting but funnily enough I mean, I think, I hope, I really hope I'll always write novels um, because, you know, I love them and and they are my first love and stories as well. Having said that, though, I would would quite like to write something for telly, which is just also a bit crazy. But, you know, I I have actually, I was was talking about this book that I've written that I can't sell. Mm. And it was a funny book, really, in that it was kind of quite different for me in that it didn't, take that long to write by which I mean it didn't take five years you know (laughs) um it was a it was a book that I actually plotted out which I don't usually do okay and it it felt kind of lighter in a lot of ways so I am kind of wondering if maybe that could be on the screen um which I know is you know really really hard road and you know it's very very difficult to break into and all that stuff but you know I might have a go because just kind of think well, why not really absolutely yeah. yeah yeah 
and as you say some projects you think well there was something a bit different about that so maybe that means it's destined somewhere else yeah yeah and you know and I think it's it's just nice isn't it to keep yourself interested by learning new stuff I'm not saying I mean you know every novel I feel like I have to learn how to do it all over again and and you learn loads of new things every time and obviously I don't know everything there is to know about writing novels by a very long chalk but you know it's just I think it's it's really nice just to try a different type of writing sometimes to kind of refresh yourself you know and, and learn something new yeah yeah that's a good point to end I think thanks so much for talking to me it's a pleasure. It's Thank been you, a joy. Catherine. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. That was Bethan Roberts in conversation with Catherine O'Flynn. You can find out more about Bethan on her website at www.bethanrobertswriter.co.uk. And that concludes episode 367, which was recorded by Catherine O'Flynn and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 368, Lois Price speaks with Anne Morgan about motorcycle adventure, travel writing and human understanding. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk Thanks for listening.